In 1841, when Walt Whitman moved from the small family farmstead to the humanity-swollen streets of New York City as a 20-year-old, he found himself. A self-assured queer man, he found himself everywhere, in every body in the dock worker, the street sweeper, the nursing mother, the horse and carriage driver, in all the expressions of bodies, smells, beauty, and filth of New York City, he found himself. He found himself thinking, experiencing really, that could be me. That could be me. It was this profound sense of seeing himself in what he was taking in, all those bodies. This profound sense of particularity and oneness all mixed up together. Whitman made his living as a journalist. When he traveled to New Orleans in order to write for the Crescent newspaper in 1848, it was this all-encompassing feeling of that could be me that began to inspire and complexify his emerging poetic voice. As a journalist, he held very typical opinions of white intellectuals of his day that black skin was somehow less than an intolerance towards abolitionists, the abolitionist movement, and instead supporting the free soil movement that opposed the expansion of slavery in the Western states because it saw the expansion of slavery as a threat to white laborers. There in New Orleans, the new Paris of the United States, he witnessed the auction block firsthand. Black and brown bodies, women, men, and children poked and prodded and beaten, and he thought, that could be me. He saw white land owners bidding on people, brutalizing people, and he thought, that could be me. He wrote, I am the poet of slaves and the masters of slaves. I am the poet of the body. I am. I go with the slaves of the earth equally with the masters, and I will stand between the masters and the slaves, entering into both, so that both shall understand me alike. This was radical stuff in the 1850s, to see your body, your soul, as the body, the soul of everything, every body. To embrace the fluidity of that could be me, pushed the boundaries of his own racism, and led to different questions than the journalist Whitman had posed. Instead of asking, what is my position on this issue? How can America solve this terrible problem? What is constitutional, just, 
or reasonable. His poetry demanded he ask other questions. Questions like scholar Paul Outka uh, outlines, something like this. Is race a problem or an opportunity for daring intimacy? Is racism, is race a problem or an opportunity for daring intimacy? Sojourner Truth, on hearing Whitman's poetry and who was a huge fan of Whitman, said, never mind the man's name. It was God who wrote it. He chose a man to give his message. Whitman began to develop a philosophy in his poetry that if we would all just recognize the fact that what we truly hold in common is our experience of life in bodies, through fleshy, disorderly bodies, and if we understood the body as sacred, then we would truly have the beginning of democracy. This philosophy of the sacred body, the body electric, in all its smells, beauty, and sex, was the impetus of his groundbreaking, form-bending work, Leaves of Grass and he truly believed it would save the country. He brought himself to near destitution in order to self-publish the first edition of 12 poems. With few exceptions, Leaves of Grass was bashed by the critics, absolutely bashed. They called it smut and trash, not only because it broke every existing rule of the poetic form of that time, but because it explored all aspects of the body. This life through the human form, armpits, breast bones, crotch, skin, race, sexuality, pleasure, and sex on the edges. Whitman took it as a compliment as the bad reviews piled up. He was so sure of his underlying philosophy that through human affection, through human affection, we would solve every one of the problems of freedom and equity. When the South attacked Fort Sumter in 1860 and civil war broke out, Whitman was devastated. His praise of body had not transformed hearts and minds, and he turned away from writing altogether. His brother George was serving in the 51st Division of New York, and when George was listed as one of the wounded in Fredericksburg, Whitman went to Virginia. Whitman didn't know what he would find. He didn't know if he would find his brother alive or dead. What he did find was more than a war between states. He found a war on bodies. As he went to the mansion that had been reconfigured as a hospital, he walked past piles and piles of arms and legs and feet, and his heart ached for the body. The body he believed to be more than the parts and poems of the body, but the soul. 
For the next several years, he ministered to bodies, bodies with amputated feet, gouges in the hips, bullet holes in the lungs, bodies upon bodies in makeshift hospitals of Washington, D.C. He found a job working as a copyist in the morning, then went to the hospitals in the afternoon and the evening. If a soldier asked him to stay the night, he came to work the next morning with the stench of the wounded still on him. There were no protocols of sanitation like there are today, no understanding of anesthesia, so the hospitals of that day were very, very brutal places. People smelled so bad with rotting, infected wounds, they were often just left in a corner to die. Whitman must have appeared, appeared like a Santa Claus to the countless soldiers he visited with his great white beard, and he always came with a bag of candy and tobacco, notepaper, pens, and biscuits. He sat with soldiers for hours as they recounted their stories or just sat quietly beside them and held their hand. For many, this strange, benevolent man was the last face they saw the last touch of affection they felt before their death. Whitman estimated he sat with 10,000 men, and it left him near collapse. As the war raged on, he began to write again a grouping of poems called Drum Taps to be added to the Leaves of Grass collection. Working at a hospital just 10 blocks from the Capitol, he often crossed paths with President Lincoln. They would nod and tip their hats to one another on daily strolls. And Whitman became enamored with this long and lanky president who he said was so ugly he was actually beautiful, pinning all his hopes for peace and freedom on Lincoln's presidency policies and proclamations. Imagine, after all that suffering, all the stench, all the tears and pain, the relief of death. Imagine, after all this brutality, all the loss and devastation, the relief and elation everyone must have felt when General Lee surrendered at Appomattox. Imagine, just five days after the South surrendered, the most public casualty of the Civil War takes place in a DC theater when President Lincoln was assassinated. The country, both North and South, were in shock. Everywhere, there was death and mourning. Whitman writes this. <laughs> 